0: Welcome to NEOD Rewind, a podcast on war and mass violence. This podcast is made by Thijs Bouknecht and myself, Anne van Maurik. I'm very pleased to have historian Wim Manahutu on the show. We're going to talk about his interest in and research to colonialism, migration, common cultural heritage, and diversity. Wim, welcome. Uh, You are a very active person. Um, mm. To name a few things you did or do, you've been organizing a lot of projects. You've been one of the directors of the Molokken Museum in Utrecht. You're a speaker at various international conferences. You're doing a PhD and you are the director of the Museum of Migration in The Hague. Wow. Well,
1: yeah. Well, actually to start with the last, I just finished that, um, uh, that part in, uh, in The Hague. I was an uh, intermediary uh, director uh, and I, uh, I basically finished that. And hopefully the museum will be able to survive, even though the circumstances uh, surrounding the museum are, are difficult, because...
0: Diversive yeah. the, struggles, right? The
1: municipality of The Hague stru- basically started this uh, migration museum, which makes a lot of sense, because as in all the major cities of the Netherlands, 53% of all the inhabitants of The Hague has a migration background of sorts. But because of political changes, the different coalition, the initial support that uh, envisioned uh, a three-year subsidy was cut. Oh, wow. uh, and so... And
0: when when the, did they give you the finance?
1: The subsidy was, was given in, in March, and it was cut in June. So this is oh, basically in politics in to Two thousand and eighteen. So oh, basically, wow. this is this is how sometimes politics uh, can also work. Yeah. And even though um, we have done uh, um, uh, a lot of interesting stuff, and there are a lot of plans, and then the necessity of dealing with migration and also dealing with migration in the heritage field in general and in the museum field in particular is very clear for anyone who. Thinks about history. Thinks about the Netherlands. Thinks about history, not only colonial history, but the yeah. history of migration in general. Yeah. Sometimes you are. What is dealing... this
0: necessity? For how do, would you well, describe it?
1: For me, um, personally, I think you cannot understand the history of the Netherlands without uh, including migration as a fundamental uh, element of the formation of the Netherlands. Yeah. Both in the Netherlands as well as. Uh, when it comes to the global enterprise of, of the Netherlands, so colonialism. yeah, And for a very long time, and I was trained as a historian in the late 70s, early 80s of the last century, so quite some time ago, I was trained to be a traditional historian. And I'm very glad that I acquired the, some of the skills that I learned uh, at the time to be very meticulous when it comes to source. Uh, through sources, to to be very careful not to use present-day notions when you look at um, histories that played out centuries ago. But at the same time, um, I do feel that um, developments within the field of history, within the field of social sciences that occurred uh, in later decades, are very important to uh, fathom into the way that we basically act as historians, uh, anthropologists, social scientists right now and unfortunately uh, I see in the Netherlands there is a lot of, there is massive resistance against um, including these new insights. Yeah, And there is this feeling that by using insights from post-colonial studies, from mm, gender studies, from cultural studies. Yeah you are doing uh, away with traditional or with history as such, which is not true.
0: Yeah. So you mean by that, for example, the discussion of Gloria Wecker, uh, White Innocence and Cultural Archive, in which which, how how you look at the sources you use that that influences each other. The book by
1: Professor Wecker is is of extreme importance because in the very beginning she says this is a, a journey. Yeah. And I am not telling you what the cultural archive is. I'm giving you a perspective that you can use to to in, in your own research. Yeah. And what people, how people some people read the book is that it basically negates all the work that you need to do as historians, anthropologists, social scientists. Yeah. And say, well, Professor Wecker is, is basically just importing all these fancy notions from across the ocean and making very easy um, drawing very easy and, and grandiose conclusions, which she doesn't. She yeah. basically gives us a roadmap to use for our research. And sometimes I feel that even in academia, because you know, politicians, uh, opinion makers sometimes have their own logic. But even in academia, I saw some reactions that I felt really to be very surprising and, and, and based upon a very superficial or even a very, well one might say, uh, uh, selective reading of what Professor Becker has to say. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And how would you, did you use her work and her vision also in your exhibitions or in your projects, uh, In for example, the Migration Museum?
1: Well, with the wisdom of hindsight, of course, uh, you wish you would do that much more, but in the last um, well decade or so, um, I've learned a lot, and I've unlearned a lot. And um, what well, did you learn, and what did you unlearn then? Well, what I what I unlearned uh, is to believe. And this is the way I was trained, and, and 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 again, I was I'm very thankful to my. My teachers of the time who learned to, to be very meticulous, and, and again, uh, I think uh, archival research is very important, but if you go into archival research, there's always the danger, and of course, Laura and Stoller has, has taught us that, yeah. that you come to perceive the archive as a given. right? It's in the reports, and that has authority in itself. And what you need, to, of course, to develop is a very critical attitude towards not only the reports you read but the archive as, as a whole
0: yeah for example the colonial archives yes. uh, that will be a colonial mentality what's in there and what's not yes. in there
1: and the way that uh the colonial how the colonial archive is structured it's not a neutral given yeah. to be to be opened up by, uh, by by historians or researchers in general it's an instrument of power it's yeah. not neutral. The archives are and have never been neutral. And of course, this is, this is something that you have to unlearn, especially if you're, again, in, 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 in the 70s and 80s, even though critical thinking was developing, but the mainstream historian is glad. If you find something, you're glad, right? Yeah. And then course. to become critical and say, well, this is part of, of, of a mentality and you see the wording you have to look at language. So all these turns—the anthropological turn, the, the linguistic turn—of course, these were turns that took place in in the, in the last uh, decades. But they're still within the field of well, one one might say mainstream um, doing history. Yeah, there's this this belief is very strong. What is interesting to me is, is that um, history has never been neutral as museums are not neutral and it is all part of also power relations yeah. and political, the fight for political dominance and what we see now in the west but also in the Netherlands is that um, as more and more people stand up and raise their voice and um, critically uh, asked questions, there is this pushback. And the fact that you see now, and not only in certain universities that are associated with that, but in, 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 in academia in general, there is a conservative voice that feels that they are being marginalized, yep. that they are being silenced by whatever. And more populistic voice. And they yeah, they now speak up because yeah. they feel that you know we have a political party, we yeah. have political leaders that basically affirm us in the belief that universities are are undermining whatever it is uh, the West yeah. um, has accomplished. And we need to push back. It's it's interesting, especially you see 19, 20-year-old younger students, young students, speaking out and saying, well, climate change, hmm, I'm not sure. Well, you know, colonialism. But colonialism also brought uh, benefits. It's it's, it's fascinating for me. And I I try to engage in, in conversations with uh, with students um, and to be as open-minded uh, as I can without um, sugarcoating uh, what I believe that is happening.
0: The question I cannot not ask right uh-huh. now, of course, is: I do research within this research project on independence, decolonization, and violence and war in Indonesia. Um, I think it's important to note that I make this podcast independent from this research. Um, But within this research, we also use sources from the colonial archive. And in that sense, our research group, I think, is a good reflection of the discussions that are going on uh, in society on this subject. Some researchers think differently about the use of sources and methods than other researchers. Um, Would you like to say something about that? Um, And yeah, maybe do you have advice for the
1: researchers? Ooh, that would be very presumptuous, but (laughs) I would would have started, with um, basically being very frank about the limitations of the research. Yeah. Right? Where you say, well, we can do this, we cannot do the research, we cannot speak for Indonesians, yeah. which in itself is, is a very problematic notion, including those who criticize the research and speak on behalf of Indonesians, because if I talk to 10 Indonesians and Indonesian historians, to assume that they all feel the same would be as colonial yeah, of course. as, uh, you know. And so, this is not something that this research um, um, should do. And in the very beginning, one of the senior researchers said, well, it's very important that the Dutch basically try to uh, do some serious soul-searching through this research. And I think... That is one of the things that I would value in, in, in the research. But of course, how do, you do, how do you do that, right? And if you say, well, we count uh, casualties, which is, again, important to, to, be, to be meticulous and not say, well, it, it could be anywhere between 10 or 100,000 because... But to have 100,000 victims, what does, it, what does it tell you? hmm Right and and you, you need to be very critical and you need to be um, aware of the fact that you are looking you're doing this research as a predominantly Dutch group yeah. of researchers, and if you acknowledge that, and if you, and if you encounter critique, yes, the money comes from the Dutch government. For me, that is not, that is not in itself. Um, Uh, a reason to uh, disqualify the research. It becomes uh, a reason if you see that the research questions are steered or influenced in any way. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, if you are a research group and you are academics that are uh, worth something, you would fight any, um, well, even hint of intervention or influencing, you'll be very critical as a group amongst yourself yeah. to have very fierce debates about, uh, on the fundamentals uh, uh, of the research, and then not be afraid to share some of that yes. with the outside world. Yeah.
0: So you say, be honest, this is a mainly Dutch research, uh, but then at the same time, I see that a lot of researchers do work with Indonesians and don't want to leave the Indonesian voice unheard, how to prevent that a research like this will look too much inward?
1: It's, I think it's very important that, at least, part of, of, the, of the research group, and I know some, some people do, yeah. that you have access to Indonesian sources, because yeah. Indonesian oh. historiography is, is is, of course, very complex because of the fact that, how things played out and how, for instance, the Indonesian Military has been very successful in framing National history. Yeah. the way it wants National history to be taught and yeah. it's very courageous of, of some of the Indonesian historians that uh, are Participating in this research to speak out against this and of course for us in the Netherlands We can hardly understand uh, the risk uh, not only career-wise, but risks very real risk uh, that you run as a historian if you touch upon topics, if you have a perspective that uh, goes against the interest of very important and powerful groups within Indonesian society. And we should not be naive about this. Mm -hmm. You will have people knocking on your door literally and advising you to basically stop doing research. And you know that if I go through with this research, it might have consequences, and and even though you know the dictatorship has ended formally twenty years ago, it doesn't mean that some of the structures that were there during dictatorship has have vanished, you know, and so so whenever, and, and this is really, not, this is really. Irritates me if people in the Netherlands speak very, very callously about these Indonesian researchers being the, you know, the, the, the boys and, and the, the just the collaborators in in, in all, all, all um, sorts of the Dutch research because I know some of them and I know these are very, very established academics and they run risks that. You know, we don't run in the Netherlands. Yeah, and so you know.
0: yeah, it's hard to understand maybe from a Western perspective that here we're all free to research what we want and to conclude what we want, of course. Uh, free within the limits, yes. of course, <laughs> of the cultural archive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not from poli- politics, of course, uh, there's a danger. Um, Okay, back to all the topics you're interested Uh in. So cultural heritage, um, diversity. Uh, On your personal website, I uh, read that you work from the idea that diversity is a reality in today's society and that this reality still brings a lot of challenges and that it requires uh, customized solutions and strategies. And then I quote, uh, Monahutu cannot only come up with these solutions and strategies, but also can implement them. And would you say this is the starting point of the activities that you organize? It's,
1: it's, it's the It's the ideal. It's the ideal. Um, and I've, I've become more realistic, uh, if not, hopefully not cynical, but um, as you work in a, in a certain field, uh, the, the cultural field, the museum field, Um, you see again how structural and systemic um, inequalities are very strong and resilient against change. Because in the last 30 years ago, there were various uh, attempts to diversify museums, to diversify the cultural sector. And the very fact that these initiatives are still necessary. Basically, is uh, is proof of the fact that it is very hard to uh, establish real fundamental change. The fundamental change in the in the sense that it's not just projects which end if additional funding is uh, finished.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, se- the migration museum. For instance, the yeah. migration
1: museum, but also all kinds of. Uh, projects that uh, occurred in, in, from the 90s of the last century, well, until uh, till now, basically, to, for instance, diversify the personnel of museums and cultural institutions. And I'm not talking about the people who are working at the desk, but management teams, uh, directors. If you would go to a museum convention, in the Netherlands, you would see still see, and this is something that I saw thirty years ago. You will see ninety-five to ninety-seven percent white people. Yeah. Um, which in itself, you know, these are nice people, and it's not about them, mm-hmm. but it's about the fact that uh, a field, the museum field, the cultural field, that prides itself as being open, liberal, progressive, yeah. open-minded is not a reflection of societal changes and then of course you see the excuses or you hear the excuses they're not there they're not interested they don't want to work in our field well i can tell you this if you're the only one it's very you have to be very exceptional to basically um, to remain working in a field where people would lip surface to diversity but you know you feel well this is not this is not really true there is a change though in the last two or three years there's a new generation um, that is coming up that has gone through uh, through the schools and the educational systems that uh, makes them fully Uh, professional in their field and um, as I see it, this new generation, and this gives me hope as someone from an older generation, is not taking no for an answer. They, They are not pushing for fundamental changes and they can do so because there are more of them society has changed, it is not that easy anymore for mainstream institutions to basically brush off any criticism and say, well, you know, and and in this case, you know, social media can be used for the the better and and worse. But in this case, all mainstream institutions are now hypersensitive for bad press. We've seen examples of of institutions, magazines, basically uh, getting targeted uh, in most of the cases, rightfully so, and then having to deal with it. Yeah. Whereas 20, 30 years ago, they could say, well, you know, just sit tight. It'll blow over. Yeah. Now, some things, sometimes things do not blow over, and, and, and you have to deal with it in one way or, an, or another. It will take more time and more effort, and this is where intergenerational... Um, well, solidarity, but also exchange is important to show that, well, you know, what you guys are doing now, uh, and it is interesting that when it comes to diversity and changes, basically, this is women taking the lead right now. Yeah. Women of of color taking the lead right now. And this is, again, very important. 30 years ago, I did not know about intersectionality. This is something that I had to learn and and I have the, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be married to a feminist.
0: Yeah, maybe it's good to tell who your wife actually is. Um, Wimane Hutu's wife is uh, Nancy Jawa. She's a
1: cultural historian. Who constantly, <laughs> if I slip, I get, you know, a slap on the wrist and say, you, know, you know, you're not aware, but this is mansplaining. And then I, you know, it doesn't always feels good, but I have to admit, that if I turn back the tape, I say, Well, actually, I was, I was mansplaining, and I have to really unlearn to do that. Yeah. And yeah, you know.
0: Um, would you then see a solution in a quotum or a temporary quotum yes. to hire women and to hire people yes, of different uh, because skin colors?
1: Yes. A temporary quotum is necessary because there is an imbalance, mm-hmm. a structural imbalance, and you will not. Create uh, an even playing field, level uh, level playing field, without additional measures. And of course, again, language is important. in In the Dutch language, we talk about positive discriminatie, which has the word discrimination in it. Mm -hmm. So then you have people say, "Well, you know, I'm 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 a white person. I'm not discriminated against. Affirmative action, even though that in itself has its own uh, dynamics." is, I think, a better term. It, it basically means that you are writing a wrong, yeah. a historic wrong. And um, what the uh, Eindhoven has done is that they say, well, if we look at the number of women, and so intersectionality is about color, class, uh, ability, race. We need to do this, because otherwise, and this is, of course, when it comes to to, to to women in academia, without additional measures, we will have parity in 2050, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to professors. And, of course, everybody says, well, this is bullshit. Uh, if, if you don't do anything 2050, we are not going to wait. Yeah. But the same applies to color. Yeah. If you don't have... And, of course, then people say, well, does it then mean that We lower the quality of applications? No. What you do is basically to search, uh, and sometimes you will have to search outside the Netherlands. And there are a lot of qualified academics. But then again, you have to provide them with the opportunity to to function. You know, you have this booklet by the Trope Museum, Words Matter. The way people, objects, the world is classified and framed. And, And in that case, of course, Professor Becker, to return to her work, does not claim that she invents something new. She points out to the work of Edward Said, mm-hmm. which, of course, for many mainstream historians is, you know, uh, Said is, 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 uh, is politically uh, motivated. He's not a historian. He lumps all these things together and then calls it um, Orientalism. Yeah. But if you look at the work of, 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 of Said, I find it compelling, and it's, it's hard, both Orientalism as, as well as culture and imperialism, hard not to understand that he was actually very to the point when it came to understanding the systemic part of, of framing the world in this way. And, and again, if you, if you then start to look at your source material, It's still the same source material. You don't make something up that is not there, but you understand it on another level. Uh, And if I would go back in time 30 years and look at the same source material, I would look at it with other eyes, ask different questions, which is, I think, any historian um, should be aware of, is that, of course, the questions that you pose to your to your source material are not objective mm-hmm.
0: in any way. Yeah, they're product product of his time and also of the person who yeah. um, asks them, of course. The last question I always ask to people I interview sure. is: um, have you do you have any recommendations for literature? But you already named so much. You named uh, Edward Seitz, Gloria Wecker, Laura Ann Stoller, uh, Jennifer Foray, and Jennifer Lindsay and Maya
1: Lin. Um, so I want to... Indonesian writers. Indonesian and, and writers, of course. It's not only Pramujanantatur, even yep. though I feel that everyone should read. If you deal with Indonesia, colonial Indonesia, and the end of colonialism uh, in Indonesia, one should read uh, Pramuja Anantatur. What is very interesting to me is that it, it has become harder for Indonesian authors to be translated into Dutch. After the Frankfurter Buchmesse, two years or three years ago, there has been an upsurge in, translation in translations into German. But it is like the Netherlands is falling behind. And this is, again, the afterlife of colonialism, this feeling of we know everything, we know a lot about, about, about Indonesia already, and there is no necessity... Of dealing with a country which is the fourth largest country in the world, it's an important country. There's a lot of very important issues that are being dealt with in Indonesian literature. But there is still this, one might say, well, not well, colonial innocence where people, sometimes very intelligent people, have this feeling that, well, you know, we know all the important Indonesian uh, authors already, and this is just not true. Mm. So what, what, is happening, what, is hap- what is happening in the arts and in the literature in Indonesia, you see a younger generation that is interested in history, including colonial history. And then people in the Netherlands, including um, a lot of academics, just miss out on that.
0: And who do you think we cannot miss out on?
1: Iksakabanu wrote uh, two volumes of wonderful short stories about colonialism. Of course, Ayu Utami, extremely important uh, writer, and she has been translated into Dutch, fortunately. But also Eka Kunjalan, who was picked up in English first and then translated into, into Dutch. Which is, of course, you know, if, if, if people in the Netherlands talk, we have this special relation, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I shouldn't say blah, blah, blah. Right? <laughs> but, you know, the Dutch should be the first to pick up on... And now sometimes it is uh, in a roundabout way where Indonesian writers get picked up outside a small circle of people who are very knowledgeable about events in Indonesia are picked up in, 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 in the English language... Uh, area first, or in Germany first, and then are translated into to Dutch. And so whenever people say, yeah, well, you know, because of this length, long-standing relationships, we know about Indonesia, I say, well, sometimes this long-standing relationship can be a barrier yeah. of, of dealing with Indonesia as it is right now. You know, I'm always happy when young people say, oh, i want to do history. Yes, 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 please do. Because we need historians. We need historians. Because, and, and even though sometimes people who, if we look at our politicians, one might say, you know, to be a historian does not mean that you are a, a, a good politician. No, our prime
0: minister is a I know. historian. Yeah. I know,
1: but, um, you know, we, we need historians. Yeah. Definitely.
0: And then, to conclude, one of the topics would be that unlearning is underestimated, maybe.
1: Definitely. unlearning is, is important to, to, to be aware that we are always uh, being taught things that are presented to us as natural, objective, and most of the times they are not.
0: Thank you very much. You're welcome.